Well, welcome, folks, to Fayette Baptist Church this morning, and uh, I just want to uh, personally welcome you, and uh, more than even welcome, I want to invite you this morning to come join uh, your brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. Maybe you're meeting some brand new people today, but I want to uh, welcome you and invite you to start off your week right. I don't know, I don't know how your last week went. Maybe you had a, a wonderful week, and maybe everything went according to plan, or maybe last week was just sort of a... Oh, man, you just couldn't wait to get to the next day. And so I want to welcome you this morning and invite you to take a deep breath. Go ahead, take a deep breath. <laughs> uh, a little better. Uh, and I want to pray this morning that we would uh, focus on Christ, that we would reset. And whatever our last week held, I want us to look ahead to this next week, uh, focusing on Christ and uh, uh, joining our hearts together this morning to worship. So, would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, we are uh, so glad to be here this morning. It is so wonderful to be in the, the, your presence. It's wonderful to be in uh, the, the company of our brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, would you set our hearts and our minds to focus on you? Lord, would you bless this worship as we uh, give it to you this morning? Would you bless our uh, uh, Pastor Chris as he brings the message? And would we leave here uh, renewed? Would we leave here ready to take on this next week focused on you and everything that we do? Lord, we love you and we are so thankful for this place that you've given us and for this time that you've given us. And will we use it to glorify and to honor you? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you join me in worship? Yeah, let's stand together and sing. <laughs> Thank you. 
stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse privilege of having a copy of this letter. And I just want to read some encouraging words to you. This is found in chapter 15. Now, my brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved. Praise the Lord. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise 
you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised wow, on the third day according to the scriptures, just as it said. <laughs> and so not only that he was raised, right? But he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The lamb is
yes, Lord, how great you are. What a gift it is to sing, Father, and just praise your name. And I just think about the church universal throughout time, Father. One day we'll all be before your throne praising your name. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and the heavenly host. We just praise you, Father, and just rest our thoughts and our minds in your presence right now. Thank you for the gift of gathering we pray for your kingdom, Father, your kingdom to come, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that one day we will live in your kingdom forever, but it isn't just for then. Um, but it's now, Father. Your kingdom is here right now in this place. Your kingdom is with us everywhere we go by the power of your spirit. So I pray for us as a body, individually and together, that we would be uh, kingdom builders, Lord. We would be seeing your work all around us and participating and joining you in that. We lift up the needs, Father, and many in our church, particularly the prayer requests that have come out recently. We pray for Dan's sister, Deb, and her need for um, a liver. We ask for miraculous healing, Father, um, that you would provide a way for a donor. But we trust you, Father. We trust your will. And we just put her in your hands. I pray for Dan and Kathy as they're down there, that you would be encouraging them and giving them opportunities to, to minister to their family, to love and encourage them. And, we pray for James's nephew, Levi, this precious little boy, Father. Uh, we ask that you would heal him completely, that it wouldn't be cancer. Um, you would strengthen his parents and his brothers and sisters in this confusing time. Uh, we just ask for you to pour out your grace all over their, their family. And I pray for my uh, young friend, Judah, and what a blessing he is, and I thank you for the medical care that he's been getting for his cancer, and, and we just pray for continued and complete healing for him and for recovery in this month of rest between treatments. Uh, Lord,
Lord, we know that you tell us to ask for our daily bread, and there are many more needs in this body that, that maybe we haven't shared with one another, but you see them all, and we pray for that today, um, for jobs, for healing, for marriages. Whatever needs there are, Father, you are more than enough to meet them. We thank you for that, and we just lift one another up to you. Father, forgive us also uh, for the things that we've done individually and as a body, um, the ways that we've failed you, the ways that we've put ourselves first. We just come before you now and ask for your forgiveness. There's nothing that we can do um, to take away our own sin, but you have done everything to bring us before you in righteousness, and we praise you and thank you for that. Um, and we just we repent this morning, Father, humbly and ask for healing for the ways that we're broken. And for temptation, Father, uh, there's many temptations in our culture, and we, we just ask that you give us eyes to see the way of escape that you promised to provide for us. Protect us from the evil one, from the work that he wants to do against Christians in our church. Um, we just ask for just total protection, Lord. Um, you're so good to us. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Um, most of you know that for the last couple of years, we've been moving to an electronic bulletin, which, is, which has been great. Um, but it's recently had some really stupendous upgrades. And um, we noticed that a number of you missed that probably and didn't open them. But so I wanted to call your attention to it. There's, it's really easy to use. You open the email. There's um, copies of the former sermon. There's the scripture passage that we're going to look at on Sunday. There's prayer requests. It's really so beautiful. It's really well done, and it's a great resource. So I just want to encourage you all to take the time. It only takes five minutes to open it up and just be prepared for Sunday and just stay connected with the body. So I wanted to encourage you to take note of that next week. Um, ladies, we're going to have a women's ministry event coming up on February 26th. It's a couple Saturdays from now at 2 o'clock. Um, whether you're a tea drinker or not, we would love to have you. It's going to be just a laid-back, warm fellowship time to get to know other women in the church. You may know a lot of women. You may not know any. So we want everybody to come and just connect more with each other and enjoy a time of fellowship together and eat tasty food, which is always a good thing. It's going to be at 2 p.m. And then also, there is no regular Ignite tonight, but um, Ignite Youth, in particular, are invited if they would like to go to Pastor Jeff's house to watch the Super Bowl tonight. He's offering that. So at this time, um, students and nursery-age kids are invited to go to nursery and Sunday school. Thanks.
beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Heavenly Father, thank you for those words, words that you spoke through your beloved apostle. We thank you for the truth that they conveyed when he originally wrote them to his original audience, and we thank you for the truth that they convey to us today. And we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be able to open your word and to study it. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit today would speak to us and to speak to our hearts right where we're at. To help us to understand what you have written and to apply it to our lives. We want to more accurately reflect your love and your, your grace and your glory here in this world. Change us, Jesus. God, I also just want to take a moment to, to pray for oh, just a few folks in the last 24 hours that you have brought to my attention who are experiencing incredible grief. You know who they are, and you know what they're going through, and pain unimaginable. God, we pray that you would meet them in that place. We pray for your peace that, that surpasses understanding to guard their hearts and minds and to miraculously get them through this time. Your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted. You comfort those who are crushed in spirit. And so, God, we pray that you would do that for their hearts right now. Meet them wherever they are in this moment. We love you, Jesus. And we invite you to speak to us now. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So, a little over a year ago, I received a letter in the mail. Uh, actually, the letter came from the person whose voice you just heard reading that passage. And he is someone who I look up to as a, as a spiritual father in my life. Someone that I uh, know that I can go to at any time. He's a man who has walked with me through uh, the highest points of my life. And he's also been there and sat and prayed with me through the absolute lowest points of my life as well. He's somebody who loves Jesus. He loves his family, and he, and he loves me like a son. He calls me his son. 
And as I read his letter that he sent to me a year ago, I could picture, I could picture his smile as I was reading it. I could see the, the pride he has in his eyes when he talks to me. I could hear his voice encouraging me through the words on the page. And I could feel the love and, and the care that he has for me. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a new series looking at a, a tiny little book near the end of the New Testament, just five chapters long, the book of 1 John. This is the moment you've been waiting for, some of you. How many of you did your homework? Let's see it. Wow, look at that. Wow, and they say that shame doesn't work. So That's awesome. I, I was getting texts all week. I did my homework. I did my homework. People are texting me. Pastor Henry is on vacation right now down in Florida, and it was like, I think it was Monday morning maybe. I did my homework. I told him he had to be here to get his prize, though, so apparently he didn't show up. So it doesn't count, Henry. So... Um, yeah, it's an incredible little book, this letter, um, because like the, like the letter that I received from, from my dear spiritual father, this book was written uh, from the heart of a father in order to speak truth and assurance into the hearts of his beloved children. Throughout this book, you're going to see this author, he's going to be referring to the recipients of the letter, he's going to call them his, his children, he's going to call him his little children, and then my personal favorite, he calls them his beloved, his beloved. The author of 1 John loves the people that he's writing to, and he wants what's best for them. And I think that in the same way that I respect and I cherish the words that were written to me from my spiritual father, I believe that the original recipients of this letter would have likewise cherished and respected the words from this author. Now, before we you know, begin to take a look at the things that he wrote to them, let's start out by just taking a few minutes to familiarize ourselves with the, with the background for this letter. You know, it is an incredibly important exercise for us to remember that when we open the pages of Scripture... When we read God's word, we are reading the words that God spoke through real people. A real person wrote what we're going to read today. And he wrote to a real people, right? There were real recipients that were going to get this letter and read it. They were living in a real time period, right? A time period that is actually probably significantly different than the time period that you and I are living in. Some similarities, but certainly some differences as well. And these people, they were, they were facing real challenges, right? Real circumstances. And the thing that we need to remember is that in order for us to properly interpret and to apply these scriptures to our lives, we have to first seek to understand what the original author intended and what the original audience would have heard living at that time period and going through what they were going through. So, let's begin by talking first about who wrote the book. 
So throughout church history, 1 John has been widely accepted to have been written by John the Apostle. This is the same man who wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote the next two books after this one, 2nd and 3rd John. Have you ever stopped to just think about and consider how incredible it is that we get to open up the pages of Scripture and read the words that one of Jesus' closest friends wrote about him? Do you think about just who wrote what you're about to read? It's incredible, right? I mean, think about it for a second. John, John was one of the 12 apostles, right? One of the 12 people that Jesus specifically handpicked to do life with. He invited these guys to come and follow him and walk with him for three plus years of his earthly ministry, right? They ate together. They served together. They traveled together. Can you think about just how well they got to know each other? You ever been on a mission trip? One week with people like that, right? And you're just like, man, I feel like I know them my whole life. To spend three years with Jesus. Think about how well John knew Jesus. But not only was he one of the 12, John was one of the three. John was one of three of the guys, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus pulled into his inner circle. These were Jesus' closest friends. He was so close to Jesus that when he wrote his gospel, he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. He didn't say John. He said the one whom Jesus loves. Love. Five times he refers to himself that way in his gospel. The Apostle John could arguably be considered Jesus' best friend. His best friend. What a gift. What a gift that this week, so many of your hands that went up, you had the opportunity to read what Jesus' best friend had to say about him. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you what, if I told you that John was going to be here tonight... Come back tonight. John the Apostle is going to be here. He's going to tell you about his firsthand experiences with Jesus. Do you think there would be any room? This place would be packed out. And yet, that's exactly what you hold in your hands. Isn't that amazing? You get to hear what John had to say about Jesus. When John spoke, people listened. People listened. Why? Because he had been with Jesus. So, well, who was he writing to? Who is John writing to in this letter? Well, unlike other New Testament letters like, like Galatians or Ephesians or First and Second Thessalonians, all those books clearly identify their audience. John does not address a specific audience that he was writing to. But here's what we do know. Prior to the destruction of of Jerusalem in 70 AD, John moved from Jerusalem to the city of Ephesus, where he served as an overseer for several of the churches in Asia Minor. If you see some of those names up on the, uh, on the map, you probably recognize some of those names as churches that John addresses when he writes the book of Revelation, right? John was a, a pastor in overseeing many of these churches around Asia Minor. 
And by the time that John wrote these letters, sometime near the end of the, of the first century, John would have been an elderly man, probably in his 80s. So just picture that. When you are, are picturing this book and you're reading it, imagine an 80-plus-year-old man sitting down and writing these words, that which we have seen, which we have heard, right? You know, I have a lot of respect when I sit down with those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. It's fun to sit in the presence of, of somebody in their 80s, 90s who have been walking with Jesus for that long and, and to hear what they've been through and to see the way that God has moved in their lives. I imagine that that's how people felt when they heard John speak. And so like a caring father or even a grandfather... John is writing to believers in the churches of Asia Minor to address some very real and some very dangerous threats that were coming from false teachers. Which leads to the question of why he wrote the book. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, uh, verses 29 and 30, Paul was you know, saying goodbye to the, the elders and the leaders in Ephesus. And he said that after his departure, there were going to be false teachers that would rise up from within the church who would draw disciples away from the truth. Let's look at what Paul said in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. He said this. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, uh, excuse me, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, Paul was right. He was right. By the end of the first century, there were new and there were dangerous teachings that were popping up and they were creating concerns and doubts and confusion in the church. In chapter 2 of this letter, in verse 26, John says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There was a real threat that John was addressing. And so as a loving and as a caring pastor, John is writing a letter to address these threats and to focus these believers on the things that matter most. He's honing them in on the things that are most important. He wants, to, he wants to correct the false teachings. He wants to point them to the truth. And he wants to provide them with assurance for their faith. In fact, when you get to the final verse of this letter, or not the final verse, but near the end, verse 13 of chapter 5, John actually states the reason why he wrote the book. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How many people like that verse? That's a great verse, isn't it? John makes it clear that first of all, first of all, he is writing to believers. You who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's who he is writing to. 
Secondly, he is writing to provide them with assurance of their salvation that you may know that you have eternal life. The book of 1 John was written so that believers would be confident in their faith, that they would know that they are secure in their relationship with the Lord. He says that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants believers to have assurance, but, but, there are four little words in that verse that we cannot miss. He said, quote, I write these things. I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. What things is he talking about? And the answer to that question is all of the things that he's been talking about in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, in the first half of chapter 5. I have written these things so that you might know that you have eternal life. But I think too often, at least in my experience, is that Christians want to just pull that verse out and say, hey, you prayed a prayer? Bible says you may know that you have eternal life. You prayed a prayer, right? John is not going to list praying a prayer in these first four and a half verses. Can I just tell you that right now? These things that give you confidence, he doesn't list praying a prayer. All right? Now, we can have assurance. Don't get me wrong. But what are the things that give us assurance? And that's what we're going to be looking at as we make our way through this book. And as we make our way through this letter, John is going to hit on a, a variety of topics. He's going to hit a bunch of them. But we're going to see that there are three foundational things that John is going to be emphasizing repeatedly throughout this book. John is going to focus on right beliefs, right beliefs, like right doctrine. By the way, doctrine is a good word. Don't be afraid of doctrine. Doctrine's good. John is concerned that we have the right doctrine, the right beliefs. He's also going to address right living, walking in obedience to God. And thirdly, he's going to be talking about right relationship, being in right fellowship with God and with one another. Those are three big foundational uh, things that he's going to be uh, focusing on. Because John knows that when we really believe what is true, when we have right beliefs, we will walk in obedience. It, it leads to right living. Right believing leads to right living. And when we walk in obedience, we will be in a right relationship with God and with each other. And John's going to elaborate on these things repeatedly as we make our way through this book. His hope is that we're going to examine these things in our lives just like the original recipients would have and that we're going to be assured of our salvation. He wants you and I, he wants his original recipients to know that they have eternal life. So, now that we have talked a little bit about the background for this letter, let's begin our journey through what he wrote, starting uh, with the first 
four verses. First John chapter one, verse one says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, for those of you who are familiar with John's gospel, you probably are recognizing some very familiar terms in this opening verse, familiar to his opening chapter in John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning and concerning the word of life. There's a noticeable similarity to what he wrote in John chapter 1, verse 1, where he said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Good job. When John talks about the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's not talking about the beginning of his life when he was born in Bethlehem. When John talks about the beginning, he's talking about the beginning that is spoken of in the very first uh, verse of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything was created, before anything was made, including, including time, God existed as an eternal being. And that's really hard for us to get our minds around, isn't it? Because everything we've ever known is bound in time. From the moment we were born, we've been experiencing time. And so when we think about eternity, what do we usually think about? Eternity that goes on forever. It's really hard for us to get our minds around the idea that eternity is both going on forever, but it also goes this way back forever as well. So before anything was created, God existed. And, God, and John says that in the beginning, the Word, the Word existed with God, and the Word was God. And I'm going to say a word a lot here. This word that John uses for the word is the Greek word logos or logos. I never know how to say that. Somebody know? Blah, blah. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll say logos, and I'll probably change it halfway through. This was a Greek word that was used to describe the idea of, of a divine intellect or the mind of a divine being like God. That's, what's, that's how the Greeks used that word. And John tells his readers that this logos, this divine intellect, has a name. And his name is Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. When John wrote his gospel, the, the book of John, he wanted to make it clear that Jesus, the word, is not just a human. He's not just a human that was born in Bethlehem and, and lived and died in, in Jerusalem. 
right? He wants them to, to understand that, that Jesus is eternal. The Son of God has always existed. He wants them to understand the divinity of Christ. He wants them to understand that the one who existed outside of time stepped into time and entered our world and entered into our existence as a baby. And one of the foundational truths of Scripture and the Christian faith in Christian doctrine is that Jesus is both fully God and he is also fully man. And, and to deny, if you deny either his divinity or his humanity, is to deny who he is. He is God and he is man. That's Christology. It's the, it's the study of who Christ is. And brothers and sisters, there are a lot of areas in the Christian faith where we can differ in our thinking. There's a lot of them. We can disagree about which translation of the Bible that we like the best. I like a lot of them. We can disagree about our understanding of the end times and how everything is going to shake out. We can disagree about our understanding on spiritual gifts and whether they are still you know, in existence today or some of them not. And We can disagree about our understanding of that. There are a lot of things that we can disagree about and still maintain our Christian unity, right? But there's one thing that we cannot disagree upon, at least according to John. This is foundational Christian doctrine, and if you get this wrong, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. The Bible teaches that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And to abandon either one of these, his deity or his humanity, is to abandon an essential Christian doctrine. It's fundamental to our faith. Well, at the end of the first century, at a time <clears throat> when John was writing this letter, that's exactly what was happening. That's exactly what was happening. There was a new teaching that was developing towards the end of the first century called Gnosticism. It was a teaching that gained significant traction during the second century until the early church fathers denounced the Gnostic teachings as heresy. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know, to know. And the Gnostics believed that they had some sort of special, you know, exclusive knowledge that was not available to most people. They believed that this knowledge that they received was from some higher spiritual plane and that it superseded even the knowledge that one could derive from the scriptures. And if you didn't understand it, it's just because you really, you didn't have it, you know? And this is, it was popularized under like Plato and, and others. And it was uh, uh, Irenaeus, uh, early church father, who really uh, did the, the most work to shut down Gnosticism uh, and, and, and deem it a, a, her, a heretical teaching. But at the end of the first century, this, this teaching on uh, Gnosticism was on the rise. And one of the main teachings 
And one of the main teachings of Gnosticism was this. They believed that all matter is evil. All matter is evil, but the spirit is inherently good. Inherently good. And so the Gnostics, they taught that Jesus could not have been a human being. That, that he was a spirit being only, and that he only had the appearance of humanity. They denied that Jesus had actually come in the flesh because flesh is matter. And matter, in their opinion, is evil. So they denied the humanity of Christ. And that's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal because we know that the Old Testament teaches that without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, right? That's what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 10. And so if Jesus wasn't real flesh and blood, then he couldn't have really paid for our sins, could he? It's a very big deal to deny the humanity of Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 this is what John writes. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has what? Come in the flesh is from God. He's not, he's not just talking in a vacuum. He's writing because he's addressing some real issues here, right? This is a very real issue in this early church. John's writing to correct this false teaching from those who deny the humanity of Christ. Because right beliefs matter. And they're a foundation. They're a foundation for knowing that we have eternal life. We need to have the right beliefs. If you don't believe that Jesus was God and Jesus was man, you have no business having confidence, no business having confidence that you will stand before him and, and live for all eternity with him. You should not have confidence in eternal life if you deny his deity or his humanity. And so in verse 1, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says that Jesus, the word of life, the one who has eternally existed, this Jesus, we have heard him with our ears. We've seen him with our eyes. We've looked upon him, and we have touched him with our hands. Make no mistake, folks. Jesus really lived. Jesus was really human. He's doing everything in his power in these opening verses to help them understand that this was a real man. He really lived. Can you imagine, for a moment, just the memories that John must have had from his time with the Lord? John heard Jesus with his ears. He heard him teach. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? He heard Jesus pray. He heard Jesus laugh. You guys know that Jesus laughed probably, right? He wasn't some bump on a log, you know? Sure, he had a great sense of humor. He saw him, or he heard him laugh, rather. He heard him cry. Imagine hearing your Savior cry. He had seen Jesus with his eyes. He saw him feed the crowds. 
He saw him heal the sick. He saw him free those who were oppressed. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave, right? He saw Jesus nailed to a cross. He saw Jesus laid in a tomb, right? And he saw Jesus three days later alive and risen from the grave. Oh, he had seen Jesus. He had heard Jesus. He had touched Jesus. He was there when Thomas put his hands in Jesus' scars, right? John says, let there be no doubt. Jesus is fully God. He is fully man. We've heard him. We've seen him. We've watched him carefully, and we have touched him. Then in verse 2, which is really like a parenthetical statement. I don't know how it's punctuated in your in your translation, but it's a, it's a parenthetical statement between verses 1 and 3. He says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, to manifest something is to make it visible, right? To display it, to make it known. You can't see my notes up here, right? Can you see them? No, you can't see them. Now you can. I just manifested them. You can see them, right? Now you can't see them anymore. Now, were they there before you saw them? They were there. You just, they just weren't manifested to you. You hadn't seen them yet. John says that Jesus, the eternal life, was made manifest he had always existed, right? Jesus had always existed. Remember, he's eternal. But he was made manifest. God sent his son. God sent his son. And John says, we were eyewitnesses and we testify to it. Now, when I read the word testify, I can't help but picture somebody who is testifying in a court, right? Do you Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? That's what we ask people when they testify. And I think John would say, yes, yes, I swear to tell the truth. I testify that, I, that, that, that Jesus was real, that I saw him, I watched him, I touched him. And he says it's a truth that he's not only willing to testify to, it's a truth that John and the rest of the apostles were willing to die for. What are you willing to die for? Don't forget that by this point, by this point, we're talking it's around yeah, somewhere 85 to 95 AD, all of the other apostles are already dead. They're gone. John is the last living apostle of Jesus by this point. According to church tradition, they were martyred for their faith in Jesus. The reality of Jesus was something they were willing to testify to and even die for. Verse 3 says that that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He, John is getting to the point of, why am I saying all this? Why am I telling you this? 
John says, the, the things that we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. We are sharing our testimony, the things that we have seen and heard. Testimonies are powerful, aren't they? It's important for us to share our testimony with others, to share with others the way that we have seen God move in our lives. We should proclaim to others the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. Why is that so important? Why? For the same reason that John gives here in verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, John wants his audience to understand that Jesus is not just some distant deity. He's not some, he's just, well, there was Jesus, he came, he lived, he died, he's gone. He wants them to understand that the God of the universe, the one who stepped into time, is inviting them into a very real relationship. Jesus came into this world in order to bring us into fellowship with God. Jesus, the eternal life, is still alive and we can have fellowship with him. That's good news. John says that he is proclaiming the things that he's seen and heard so that these believers would also experience fellowship like he knows with God the Father, that they would experience the type of fellowship that he knows with Jesus Christ, and that they would experience the type of fellowship that he knows with one another. This is quite an invitation, right? And, and let's not forget, who's he writing to? He's writing to believers. You know any believers who aren't fully experiencing all that God has intended as far as this relationship with him? Do you know any believers who, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but he just seems sort of distant. Do you know any believers who struggle to have real, true, meaningful relationships with one another? John says, I'm telling you these things so that you can get beyond that and you can have a real, true, and meaningful relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ, and with each other. What an invitation. Do you want that? Man, that's what I want. I want to know Jesus better today than I knew him yesterday. I want to be in a, in a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you, my brothers and sisters, than I was yesterday. I want to experience all that God has in store for me with regard to the fellowship that he came to make possible. And the word that John uses for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. You've probably heard that word before. And it's a word that's used to describe a deep commitment to one another. It's an intentional sharing of our lives with one another. John wants these believers to join him in the partnership and the proclamation of the gospel. He wants them to experience a deeper and fuller experience of, of the relationship that's available to them with Jesus Christ and with God the Father. My prayer for you and, and for me is that we would really grab a hold of the incredible truth that we can have a deep and meaningful relationship, a deep, deep fellowship with the eternal God of the universe. You can know him. 
John says that he's real. You can really know God. In his gospel, in John chapter 17, verse 3, John quotes Jesus. Jesus was praying to the Father, and he said these words. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is, is to know God and to know his Son. John wants his audience to know the word of life. He wants them to know God the Father. He wants them to know Jesus. And he wants them to know and have fellowship with each other. Brothers and sisters, the greatest pursuit, the greatest pursuit of your life should be to know God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is the most valuable thing in our lives. But the truth is, the truth is that is not the way that we often treat it. Sadly, far too often, our relationship with God is treated as an afterthought or just one of many equally important things that we invest our time and energy into, right? It's just one of many things that I'm, that I'm doing every day. Little bit of God, little bit of work, little bit of play, whatever, right? Everybody gets their portion. It's the most important thing. It's what matters most. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, there's a, there's a couple of verses that, well, they come right after one of the most famous verses um, you've seen it on every plaque, right? You've seen it on every graduation card. Um, I like the verse. I, I love Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the thoughts that I think towards you. It's a great verse. Great. I want to prosper you. Thoughts are good, not evil. It's a great verse. Incredible. Again, when Jeremiah wrote it, I mean, he wasn't writing to a graduate. Um, <laughs> you know, like, Congratulations on graduating high school. Here's the verse that... It's a good verse. The principle is right. The principle is right there. But, you know, it's not that verse that I want to focus on. It's the two verses that come after it that have always really got to me. The two verses after Jeremiah 29 and 11, verses 12 and 13, which say this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You say, well, I, I know I want to know God, but I, uh, I don't know him. He doesn't seem real to me. You got to ask, are you seeking him with all your heart? Are you really seeking him with all your heart? I was like, well, I, I got up and I read my Bible and I prayed. I did my 10-minute devotion this morning. Doesn't feel real to me. Did you seek him with all your heart? You know, I always uh, tell students when I was a youth pastor, I would tell them all the time that there was a lot of days when I get up and I spend time in my Bible and I'm reading and I'm praying and I don't feel anything. I'm like, God, where are you? I showed up. <laughs> where are you? 
And on those days, I try to remember before I, 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 I you know, get busy and head off to the next thing, I try to remember to say, God, I didn't really sense your presence here this morning. I'm just being honest. But I'm going to be here again tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm going to open your word again tomorrow, and I want to hear from you. I want to I sense your presence with me. And maybe day two is not there, and day three is not there. And sometimes there are seasons where you go through, it's like, man, I just feel like I'm all alone. And then, I don't know, like a flood, like a floodgate, it's open. And I was like, oh, there you are. And like just those, those moments are incredible. And, and God's with me, and he's with me throughout the day. And it's just incredible, you know? But I think the key here that Jeremiah is pointing out is we need to seek him with all our heart. And he says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will. I'll be found by you, he says. So let's pursue the Lord with all our heart, right? Let's study his word. Let's, let's study his teachings. Let's pray to him. Let's talk with him about everything in our lives. Tell him about everything. God, I'm so mad that that sale didn't go through. I needed that sale. How are you going to provide for me now? I don't know. You, you fill in the blanks, but... Talk to him about everything that's going on in your lives. John wants us to understand and experience a deep fellowship with the Lord and with each other. And as I mentioned in the beginning, he has three foundational uh, things that, that he's going to be emphasizing in this letter. Right beliefs, right living, and right relationship. Being in a right relationship with God and with each other is a foundational part of experiencing the assurance that John is writing about in this letter. Man, when you know that you know him and you know that he knows you, that's all the assurance you need. You're like, oh yeah. Like John is like, you can't convince me that God isn't real, right? I know. I have a relationship with him. Well, in verse four, John concludes his prologue, his introduction with these words, he says, and we're writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Here's the thing that John understands. John understands that when we believe the right things and when we live the right way, when we're in a right relationship with God and, and, and with each other, we're gonna experience true joy, right? Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, Awesome passage, by the way. Read John 15 this week about abiding in the vine, abiding in him. Incredible passage. But in verses 8 through 12, Jesus says this. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I feel like it just like it parallels, it's a mirror to what John's been talking about here in the first four verses. Jesus invites us to abide in him, to obey his commandments, and to experience his joy. And as we make our way through this little letter, John is going to keep reminding us over and over in different ways 
of our need for right beliefs, right living, and right relationship. Why? So that we might know that we have eternal life. So today, in these first four verses, we've seen how John was focused on the importance of having right beliefs about Jesus, right? We've seen how the Lord is calling us into a deeper relationship with himself and with each other. Next week, as we continue in chapter one, we're going to begin to talk about right living. And we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, sin. (laughs) As we close our time together, my prayer is that we would be filled, that we'd truly be filled with an unquenchable desire to really know Jesus, the word of life. And that we would make it our highest priority to live in fellowship with God and with each other. And that we would join with John in the partnership of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Telling others what we ourselves have seen and what we have heard. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for your Oh, your best friend, John. We thank you so much that that you invested so much into him. We thank you that you revealed yourself to him and that he, in turn, was so willing to to love and care for the the next wave of of, of your church that he poured himself into them and and he shared everything he could about who you are. God, we thank you that that the words that you led him to write, to send to these churches around Asia Minor, God, that you preserved those words for our benefit. God, we thank you for the truth that John reveals to us that you want to be in a real and deep and meaningful relationship with us. And you want us to have that with each other. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for your blessing on the rest of this day. We pray for your blessing on this week. And God, I pray that you would fill each one of us with an unquenchable desire to know you. I pray that you would be on our hearts and on our minds throughout the day, all day, every day. Have your way in our lives. Have your way in this church. And use us to to share with others what we have seen and heard. Build your kingdom. Use us, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
God, you are great. And Lord, we know that you are the one and only true God. God, we're so thankful to be in your family. We're so thankful to call you our Father. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the love that you have for us. And thank you for loving John. And thank you that you prompted John to write these words for us. This encouragement. These words that we may know, God, that we are yours. And Lord, I pray this week that we would be closer to you than we've ever been before. Each one of us, Lord, in this room, those listening online, Lord, may each one of us seek you with all of our hearts, God, that we may find you, that we may know you, the one true God who created us, that we may remember that our lives are so much more than what we see right here and right now, so much more. God, thank you. We love you. You are a great God. We praise your name.